Well, hello again. Um, we're, we've been busy teaching through um, the book of Acts and um, just spent the last four or five weeks just unpacking uh, the first few chapters. We're going to be in Acts chapter four this morning, if you've got your Bible. It's always good to bring a Bible to church, um, even if it means you have to dust it off to bring it. Um, and uh, uh, you might have a real Bible. Uh, you might have a Bible on your phone or something like that, but I'd encourage you to just turn to Acts chapter 4 with us. We've been um, journeying through uh, this book, and so far we've been thinking about how this book documents the start of this thing we call the church. But essentially it's it's the birth of the church taking place and how those first church members, the disciples of Jesus, how they formed this, this new community. And so this, this book doc, documents the, the founding of the church, but also sets the foundations really for 2,000 years of, of church history. That you and I are gathered in a room like this because of the events of this book. And I, I, every time I say that, I, I'm just amazed that, you know, whatever the season from generation to generation, in the, in the good times, in the bad times, where the church has thrived, where the church has been persecuted, the amazing thing about the church is that it's unstoppable, uh, that it just continues no matter what. That's a good thing, isn't it? Some of you aren't convinced. Um, that this thing called the church that we see forming in the pages of this book is still thriving to this day. And so in chapter 1, uh, we see Jesus in his resurrected body and he appears to his followers for a period of 40 days. And he instructs them about this thing called the kingdom of God. He, he tells them about what the kingdom of God is like. And, and then he says to them, he says, when I'm, I'm going to go to be with the Father, but... You're going to receive another. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. That the, the Spirit of God is going to come and he's going to dwell in you. And so we got to Acts chapter 2. And we see this community is forming. This community of mutual sharing. They, they're laying their lives down for one another. And there they are on Pentecost. About 120 of them in a room. And the Holy Spirit comes. And there's, there's all this commotion takes place. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. They're empowered. And then all of a sudden, they, they're empowered to preach and demonstrate the gospel like never before. So much so, Peter, who was, you know, previously was this kind of cynical fisherman. He preaches the best sermon of his life. And 3,000 people are added to their number. That's... That's pretty good going, isn't it? That's, that's pretty good church growth. I'm not sure how many donuts you would need or how much coffee. I've got a feeling we might have run out this morning if we did that. Um, and then last week, we got to chapter 3. And this is the disciples post-Pentecost. So they've had this experience. They've been empowered. And now the disciples are doing life. 
Uh, they're doing life in their community. And so they go uh, to the temple and they, they stumble across this man who's been crippled for over 40 years. He's, and he's begged at this gate into the temple, the gate beautiful. And we see uh, um, Peter and John respond to this man's need. But they di- he didn't respond with a, with a hand out. He responded with a hand up. Remember that great killer line? Silver and gold I don't have. But what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so we saw this picture of compassion and justice. And that justice was done. He, he went further than just meeting the man's immediate need, money. And actually restored him to be a full functioning human being. And, and we see that the disciples, as they go into the community, they're realizing their purpose. They're realizing that they are there to, to be part of God's renewal plan. That God is now making all things new. And so when they encounter this guy, they know things are going to change for this guy. He's not going to be begging at this gate tomorrow. And you see, when we talk about joining God in his renewal of all things, when we talk about seeing Northampton be transformed, we're talking about lives going from one condition to another. And so this guy's encounter with, with these two means his life's completely transformed. But the news about the disciples starts to spread. And... The kind of religious people get wind of this. Anybody met any religious people? Um, don't look at the person next to you. Um, but you know, we've all we've all met them. And the the religious leaders of their community aren't impressed with what these disciples are doing. And so, one evening, they seize Peter and John and they throw them in prison. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5 of chapter 4. It says, The next day, the rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and so was um, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. There, Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name do you do this? And they're referring to the fact that they've healed this this guy who's been begging for like 40 years outside the temple. By, By what power and what name do you do this? And Peter, he replies, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to the man who was lame, now being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind 
by which they can be saved. If there was um, a key word in this passage, then I think the word would be name. There's no other name. You know, they ask, by which name? And so, continually through this passage, and actually, if you read through the first section of Acts that we've looked at, continually they're talking about the power of the name of Jesus. But what is it about names? What is it about a name that is so special? Why don't you just take a moment, turn to the person next to you, and tell them your full name, okay? Even the slightly embarrassing middle name. Okay. Has anybody got like a ridiculous second name? No one's willing to admit they've got. What's your ridiculous second name? Rastel. It's unique. My my middle name is Jonathan. It's quite tame, isn't it? But my brother is Kenneth. <laughs> I always think I always his first name's his first name <laughs> His first name is Ro, Robert and his second name is Kenneth and I always think Bob Kenji you know just just <laughs> but um but yeah Kenneth you know there's one thing I've got over my older brother is my middle name uh, um Ken's fine, but Kenneth. (laughs) But names are important, aren't they? Uh, Some of us try and avoid our middle names sometimes and um, don't like to give the name. Have you ever met someone, you've called them this, you've called them by this name all their life and you realise it's their middle name? Have you ever met anyone like that? And, um, and, And sometimes names are so important to people that they change them. Um, particularly, um, particularly celebrities. Um, does anybody know who, Tom, who Thomas uh, May Mayporth the Fourth is? Tom Cruise. I didn't know that. Damn. What about um, David Robert Jones? No. David Bowie. Oh, you learn something new every day, don't you? And what about Catherine Elizabeth Hudson? Cheryl, you should know this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, or Eric Marlon Bishop. Anyone know that? You'll never guess. Jamie Foxx, the actor. Okay. Sean Carter. Some, someone knows this one. Sean Carter. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Or what about Peter Jean Hernandez? Bruno Mars, or Reginald Kenneth Dwight. 
Another Kenneth. Out and John. Out and John. And so we can see why some of them have changed their name, and uh, particularly Elton. Um, now, there are some people... I'm just going to keep going there now. Um, there are some people we know um, by, by their first name, but we automatically know their second name. Oprah. Okay. Tiger. Brittany. Napoleon. I was going to say dynamite. Um, I thought that pop culture would trump history, but there you go. And there there are some people uh, who don't know their last name. Some celebrities, Madonna. Anyone know that name? I don't think she's got a last name. She just came out, Madonna. Um, Rihanna, she hasn't got a last name. Uh, Cher, has Cher got a last name? She's just annoying. Um, and uh, Prince, and it's not symbol. Okay? <laughs> Prince, he hasn't got a last name. And then there are those whose names are evolving. Have you ever come across this? Sean Coombs, he became Puff Daddy, then Diddy, then P. Diddy, and I think he's going to become D. Okay? <laughs> Uh, and so names can evolve. They can, they can change over time. But names are interesting things. Those of you who have had children have had the terrifying prospect of naming a child for life. Um, and it is, it is a, a pretty intense thing, isn't it? You know, you, you spend those nine months kind of thinking of names, thinking, are they going to get picked on? You know, will this name fit with the surname? You know, all those kinds of things. You know, particularly a surname like mine, G. And because, you know, you spend your life constantly answering the question, G what? Um, and so, you know, you say, no, no, G, G double E. So it's Steve G double E. And, um, and, you know, so you're kind of constantly having to do that. So just choosing the right name that goes with the surname, you know, and, and sometimes we kind of get caught up in fads, don't we? And, and some names are, are in vogue for the season. I think, you know, a little baby called Steve just seems a bit weird. Uh, or Dave, you know. Um, but there was a time when that was popular. You know, I was a baby once, and I was a baby called Steve. And, uh, you know, but it just doesn't work right now, does it? And so... Uh, and so we kind of can get caught up in fads. I remember I was in McDonald's once and I saw uh, this little girl playing and her mum called her over and said, Shakira! And um, I thought, oh my goodness, she's named after a Colombian pop star. Um, you know, so sometimes we can get into fads. Um, the number one girl's name in the UK, anybody know what that is? Sophia. Okay, and what about the number one boy's name? And it's not Mohammed. Oliver. So any of you having babies? There you go. There's the tip. All that's to say that names in the ancient world were often viewed very differently to how we understand names today. And, um, and often when we hear in a text like this, where it says there's no other name, or, or by whose name do you do this? If we apply 21st century standards to our understanding of names, then often we can miss 
what's going on. You see, names in the ancient world were often synonymous with who the person was, what they, what they did, how they fulfilled their purpose and calling. And one of the reasons for this, because it's predominantly an oral culture, that things were communicated verbally. It wasn't necessarily a literal culture like us, that we, we write everything down, won't we? Even if it's in emails or text or tweets, our primary means of uh, conversation is often in a written form. But in the ancient world, it was a verbal culture. And, and so if you wanted to convey a thought or express something, you had to say it. But the problem was when you said it, that was it. It was gone. But you see, in our culture, we can express thoughts, and then we can blog about it, and we can, you know, we can write letters, and we can uh, do essays, and do all these sorts of things. And, and those, those things are caught in time, aren't they? We can write something down, walk out of the room, and what we stood is still there because it's in written form. And so often in the ancient world, because of this oral culture, uh, there was this idea that your name was synonymous with who you are, the purpose that you had, and even the story that you lived. Some people even changed their name as their story changed. You know, Saul became Paul, didn't he? And Saul has this dramatic conversion experience. He goes from being a persecutor to someone who loves and follows Jesus. And, and in the process, he changes his name to, to Paul. And, and so um, the name Jesus, he's not actually a very unique name. Um, in fact, uh, it's a name that kind of derives itself uh, from from the Hebrew, it was a fair. It wasn't a uncommon name in this period of time, and so it's a, it's actually a Hebrew name that comes from Yeshua or Joshua, and and really there are two parts to this name, and so there's the the first part is Yah, which is which is short for Yahweh or God, and then and then the second half Yah is is this idea of salvation. And so that this name, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, literally means God is salvation. God saves. But at the same time, there's lots of people who were called Jesus. You know, Acts 13, there was a false prophet, weren't there, called Bar-Jesus. I don't know if that meant he got barred from a... I don't know. I don't know what... Uh, Colossians, Colossians 4, Paul mentions someone called Jesus, who was also called Justus. And then um, in the Gospel of Matthew, and um, there's this guy called Barabbas. You know, this guy who, who's brought out as a criminal, and, and the crowds say, release him and, and kill him. Kill Jesus, but release Barabbas. Well, Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas, and that means Jesus, son of the Father. And think about that for a moment. Jesus, son of the Father, is replaced by Jesus, son of God. Isn't it amazing how in the Gospels, even in the fine details, the, the exchange that takes place, the thing that God has done, he's even there in the simplicity of two names. 
So why do we deal with this phrase, in Jesus' name? You know, in Christian culture, if someone uses that phrase, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, it often means they're reaching the end of their prayer. And depending on how long they have prayed for, uh, sometimes we're grateful that we, we hear that phrase and we think, oh, we're coming into land. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, so we kind of just have this habit of tagging on this phrase at the end of a prayer, in Jesus, in Jesus' name. But actually, sometimes yeah, that can be so ingrained in us that we can be ignorant to really what it is we're actually saying when we say, in Jesus' name. You see, when we, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're reminded of something really important. We're reminded that none of us are, have the ability to approach God on our own merit. None of us have that ability. The only way we can approach God is through what Jesus has done. Through his, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so... And so when we pray that, we're actually praying for the authority and the power of Jesus to be upon our prayers. In Jesus' name, let this be done. And so often we can miss that. And it just becomes this tag on at the end of a prayer. A bit like amen uh, is another tag on, by the way. Um, and, and, and so it's this thing that we, we, we just stick on the end, not fully realizing what it is we're actually asking. Now, some people think there's power in just saying that, as if by saying in Jesus' name, it's a bit like saying abracadabra. Yeah? And so you're going through a tough time, things are going bad, but if I just pray in Jesus' name, everything will be fine. The problem with that is I just don't think that is what the scriptures imply. I'm not sure um, that it's some sort of kind of like guaranteed, this, everything's going to be great because we, we tag this on at the end. You see, the power of Jesus' name is not in the word, his name, but it's in the person. You see, the power of Jesus' name is not in just speaking a word, Jesus, okay? Because we know that word, Jesus, yes, it's, a, it's a something we use in prayer, but it's also something some of us use when we stub our toe. And so the word on its own is just a word. But it's who that person is, where the power lies. And so it's possible, isn't it, to, to use this name, Jesus, and not really be connected to its source. Matthew 7 presents us with a sobering thought. Matthew seven twenty one. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. It's possible for you and I to do stuff under the name of Jesus and not be under the person of Jesus at the same time. That's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? Many of us could be around church for years and years and years. We can, we can raise our hands at the right moments in the worship. We can say all the right things and we can act the right way and yet be totally disconnected to the source of power that really is that name. And so maybe you don't know that name because you've just never been introduced. Maybe you don't know that name because you've never had the opportunity to respond to the person of Jesus. Verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. You see, it's the, the person of Jesus that saves. And some of us just need introducing to him. Some of us just need to discover him, maybe even for the first time. But also there's many of us who can be around Christian things for a long time and we can speak Christianese and we can say all the right Christian words and perform the right way yet we know there's no real power there's no real connection to that name we're just kind of disconnected and maybe it's just the drudgery of life and and, and the circumstances of life that cause us to be in that place. But maybe it's religion. Maybe it's the practice of religion has become more important than knowing the source. That we've, we've become enamored to doing things a certain way when, when we should have been connected to him. Jesus says that he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. We need to stay connected to him. And so there's, I think this morning there's a, if you like, a window of opportunity. A window of opportunity for those of us who have been around this thing called church for a long time. And we've done lots of good and great things for Jesus. But there's just that sense of disconnection. That sense of like, you know what, I, I used to know the power <laughs> that you're talking about. But I'm not quite sure that that power is there right now. I'm not sure I'm really connected to that name that is above all names. That name by which no one else can be saved. And so there's an invitation this morning when we take communion in a little while 
So maybe you just place ourselves back in that power source, back in that place. If you've got a Bible, I wasn't going to go there, but I think I will. Revelation, why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 3? Just want to illustrate this a little bit more. In, Revel- in the start of Revelation, John, um, John the Revelator, as he's often called, is um, he receives uh, these seven warnings to the churches, and um, one of them is to the church in Laodicea. Um, in verse 14. And so this is, this is Jesus speaking through John. He says, These are the words of the Amen, uh, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You know, that's not a verse that you stick on your fridge, is it? Jesus is about to spit you out. <laughs> okay. Um, verse 17, it says, it says uh, you say, I'm rich. Uh, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich uh, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover up your shameful nakedness. An ointment to put on your eyes so that you can see. And it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's a lot going on in this passage. You know, Laodicea was um, a Roman city, and uh, a Roman city at the centre of irrigation and water. Um, it's believed that. Uh, much of the water would have been pumped through uh, Laodicea. So this is an interesting concept that Jesus uses, this analogy of water being hot or cold or lukewarm to the church in Laodicea. And so I've, I've heard people read this passage and, and say something like this. Maybe you've heard this too. People have said, you know what? God wants you to be really on fire for him. He wants you to be really red hot for him. But if you're not going to be red hot, he'd rather you be stone cold, turned off. Just don't be lukewarm. Have any of us heard that? I've got a problem with that. The, the, the problem I've got with that is, is that I can't find anywhere else in the scripture where Jesus would rather us be completely turned off to him than not. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's just, it makes no sense at all. So imagine it's a really hot, sunny day. 
Okay, it's quite warm today. It's meant to be having a heat wave today. Is that still true? No? Oh, okay. But imagine it's a really hot summer's day. Maybe you're working hard in the garden or whatever you do. You've worked up a sweat. That means Paul was walking on Tuesday. You work up a sweat? No. He no. wasn't doing any good, Paul. Um, but you've worked up a sweat, and all you want is an ice-cold glass of water. You know that when you just really thirst, and all you want is an ice-cold glass of water. But the problem is, all you can find is half a bottle of mineral water under your car seat, and you're not quite sure how long it's been there. And, but you drink it, and it's, and it's just kind of like, ugh, it's just lukewarm. Then imagine you've, um, you've been in a colder climate, which is probably easier for us to imagine. And you've been cold all day, and you think, when I get home tonight, all I'm going to do is going to have a piping hot bath, and I'm going to relax. And so you get home, and someone's used all the water in the tank. And so you're left with a slightly tepid bowl of water. And you get in, you think, this is yuck. This is horrible. You see, the point I think Jesus was trying to make was, this isn't about hot or cold. <laughs> okay? Hot and cold is just, is just the effect that the water has in the right set of circumstances. And so, on a hot summer's day, the best thing that water can be is cold. Yeah? And if it's a little bit cold and miserable, you just want some comfort. The best thing that water can be is hot. You, you're getting my logic. It's just when it's lukewarm, it's a bit naff. And so, what I think Jesus is saying here is, is that this isn't about positives and negatives. This is about not being lukewarm. This isn't about how on fire you are or how turned off you are. It's about not being lukewarm. that's a slightly different message, isn't it? And a slightly different response. And so I guess the question is, where do we go with something like that today? How do we, how do we begin to respond? I guess the way, the way the scripture seems to tell us is that there's just no, there's no space for kind of half-baked faith. There's no space for us just to, to wing it. That our lives are meant to mean something. Our lives are meant to equal something. Our lives are meant to have an effect. You know, these disciples, they encounter the power and authority of Jesus. They, they use his name. They heal the sick. 
and power is dispersed from them. They were hot and cold. They had an effect, yeah? I'm not sure they would have seen that power if they were just a bit lukewarm. And so as we come to worship, I'm going to invite the band to come. At the end of our worship today, we're going to share in communion together. And I just think there's an opportunity for us today as we come to that table again, as we come and reenact what Jesus has done, the sacrifice he's made, as we remember that sacrifice. There's, a, there's an opportunity for you and I to re-engage with the Lord, to, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give up compromising, I'm going to give up being lukewarm, I'm going to give up just being a half-baked kind of follower of Jesus. And I'm all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get all in. And so in the midst of our worship, just be coming before the Lord this morning and just say, okay, God, how, how would you have me respond? And then at the yeah, as our worship draws to an end this morning, we're going to share in the communion. And as you take that communion, let that be the step for you. And then we would love to pray. We'd love to pray. We have some guys available to pray for you um, here at the front as well. So, so why don't we stand and we're going to worship some more.